Philippians 4, verse 10. Are you there? He said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me has flourished again, Paul said. Now again, what's he rejoicing greatly about? They sent him a big offering. Right? Yes. Everybody smile. Say, big offering. Oh, yeah. Wherein you were all so careful, but you lacked opportunity. People need you when? When they need you, not when it's convenient for you. Watch for opportunities. When there's an opportunity and God prompts you, even though it might be inconvenient, not the best time financially, move. Do it. It's, a, it's not just a test of obedience. It's a test of faith. And so um, do it. Verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want. See, he, and I get this. He's saying, I, I'm not so much just rejoicing that you sent me an offering because I needed something. He said, and he goes into an explanation. He said, I have learned. It's not something you're born knowing. He learned this, the Apostle Paul. Learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. Now notice, I, I skipped there with. It's not in the original. The translators added it thinking it would help you. I don't really care for it. He said, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Thank you, Lord. Now, without going further into the text here, there's, there's a lot of things we could talk about. But I want to elaborate on what he's just teaching there. He, he's talking about freedom from covetousness. This is one of the great obstacles to God's full prosperity. It's one of the great hindrances. And if you, if you want God's best and his full prosperity, you, you have to overcome this thing called covetousness. See, he said, I've learned, no matter what my financial or material condition is, I've learned to be content. Now, notice I, I didn't use the word that they added therewith. That means I, I'm content with what I've got. No, no, that's not what it said. He just said, I'm content. That, is, that doesn't mean you can't have a vision for having more. But it does mean you don't postpone your contentment until you get it. Do you understand? And if you're not content where you are, I'm not talking about just with what you have, but just right now. If you're not content, then you're covetous. And God, the psalmist said, God abhors covetousness. That's a strong word. He abhors the covetous. 
So we need to identify covetousness. And we need to see to it that we eliminate it from our life. Go with me, if you would, to uh, Hebrews, the 13th chapter. Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 5, let your conversation, that means your manner of life, the way you live, let it be without covetousness. Just no covetousness there. And be what? Content with such things as you have. For he has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I'll not fear what man shall do to me. Go back to Colossians. The third chapter. Colossians 3, verse 1. Colossians 3, 1, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. So we read yesterday how that he said that where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. That's why we need to have the bulk of our treasure in the heavenly account. That way our affection will be on things above and up instead of down. And he said, verse 3, for you're dead. You are dead. Now see, Romans talked about reckoning the old man dead. I mean, if the old man felt and acted dead, you wouldn't have to reckon it dead. But you have to reckon yourself dead to things. I noticed in my own life, I, there's some things I had to die to before the Lord could add them to me. We're going to get into this later on this morning, I think, but you see, you can add things to yourself. And that's not the same as the Lord adding them to you. And there are different ways of getting things and getting stuff. And like I said, some things that have meant too much to you, you have to die to. Before, now you can add it to yourself, but it won't have the right place and it won't be the right blessing. But if you if you'll follow the Lord, you, you die to it eventually. Dying's not easy. And then if you do, the Lord can add it to you and it'll be a great blessing to you. I know in my life, uh, I've always been a big car buff. Liked cars. I mean, I liked anything with a motor. Amen. From the time I was just a little bitty guy. We didn't have much money, but uh, my parents didn't. But as, just as a little boy, I, I, we got a, a piece of an old go-kart. And I mean, I wrangled with that thing until I could get it just barely big enough to hold on to the steering wheel. 
thing was just a, a wreck waiting to happen. I mean, it was a direct drive. I had to put it on a block, get the wheel off the ground, get the thing started, get in it and race it up and kick the block out. <laughs> and you just go till you run out of gas. <laughs> or, or wreck. <laughs> then uh, we finally got, got a mini bike, and then I got a lust for motorcycles. Man, I had, had posters on my wall. Never forget it, this guy was on this new Honda on this poster with his hair blowing in the wind. I'd sit and look at that for hours. <laughs> Finally got one. And I mean, I spent all kind of time on that thing. You could have eaten off of any part of the bike. I was out washing it for the nth time one day, and my mom came to the door. She said, son, you're going to wash all the paint off of that thing. And eventually got to where, you know, I could get a car. I had a job when I was uh, 13. I worked uh, almost 40 hours a week after school and everything. And every dime went to my cars. I finally got a hold of a Mustang and then a Camaro and then this. Finally got Phyllis and I had already been married. And she found out quick she married a motorhead. <laughs> what do we do on the weekends? We build engines. <laughs> Yippee. <laughs> I finally got a 37 Ford Coupe. Chrome dash, candy apple red. My cousins were drag racers. We built a little small block. They would just absolutely shake the windows. And about that time, God got a hold of me. Now, I didn't just have, you know, I didn't just have these things. They had me. I followed this car with a cloth. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I followed it around. Oh, there's some dust. <laughs> I always enjoyed things like that. And see, it's nothing wrong with enjoying something like that, but it can't have too big of a place in your life. It can't mean too much to you. And it did. It did. Well, the Lord began to deal with us about serving Him, and I got serious about seeking God, and finally ascertained that He wanted us to go to Ramah. And when He did, I, I realized some things. I just left the thing. I had all kind of performance parts and stuff. I just left it. Just left it all. Left the car sitting in the yard. Just loaded up a little pickup and went to Ramah. Finally sold all of it piecemeal for parts and just just got out of it. And the Lord had me in a little truck. I named it Trigger. <laughs> a little kind of yucky green, six-cylinder, straight shift on the column that hung occasionally. <laughs> power, the only power steering was right here in your arm. <laughs> only power anything, no air. I'm used to stuff with power, and I mean, this thing, you know, you had to nail it, count to ten, and then you left the light. <laughs> but I thank God for it. It got me to school, and it got me back to the apartment. You understand what I'm saying? And see, God was weaning me. I said the Lord was weaning me. Then eventually, you know, we, were able, we got some other, got some nice cars, and I taught you about these things some last. 
the Lord dealt with me. Now I want you to get rid of that and get rid of that, and I want you to put more of your money into the kingdom. So I did and rode with Phyllis without a vehicle for a year and a half. And the Lord wants to wean us off of things. He wants, he, he wants us to have all kind of things, but he doesn't want us to be covetous. And he doesn't want anything to mean too much to us. I know one of the first new convertible sports cars I got, something I'd always wanted, and I believe in taking care of stuff, you know, but you can go to an extreme on that. And I was out there washing this thing for the nth time. You know, some habits die hard. There's nothing wrong with taking, I, I believe that's one thing, you know, if you don't take care of what you have, you're not being a good steward. The Lord won't add more to you. You have to have your priorities right. And I was out there spending a lot of time cleaning up this thing and making sure that it looked good. And, and, and the Lord spoke to me. I mean, I knew it was him. I'm out there in a the drive by myself cleaning this car up. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, son, if you don't quit spending so much time on this car, I'm going to regret that I let you have it. Do you know the Lord is a jealous God? He says repeatedly. I mean, he, that's one of his names, capital J, jealous. That's right. Go back and look. I'm a jealous God, he says. And he is. He's jealous. Anything that takes up more of your desire or your thought time, you understand what I'm saying, than him, he'd rather you didn't have it. He doesn't care what you have. He doesn't care if you have, uh, you know, 30 cars, as long as there's no question about who's first. Amen. And nothing is even a close second. It's a distant second. Do you understand? So covetousness is an issue. It's something that we need to look at. It's something that we need to deal with. He says in verse 4, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, who's your life? Christ. Cars is not my life. Right? Clothes is not my life. Fun and hobbies is not supposed to be your life. Listen to this. Not even your kids are supposed to be your life. Well, my husband or my wife are just my life. No, no, Christ is supposed to be your life. And anything or anybody that becomes more important to you and begins to push in on his place in your life, you're in danger of losing. He wants that place, and he wants there to be no question about it. Verse 5 says, Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. Now, see, a lot of times today people think, well, you know, I'm certainly no idolater. I wouldn't dare fall down and worship a golden calf. Yeah, but if you're covetousness, if you're covetous, that is idolatry. <clears throat> Something has become too important to you. You think too much about it. Talk too much about it. Work too much concerning it. Do you see what we're talking about now? We need to be kingdom-oriented. The first principle of prosperity. Seek ye first, first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's taken a while. 
But the Lord's helped me, and I've grown through the years. And now, you know, we have some stuff. Got more stuff than we've ever had. But it means less to me than it ever did. Can you understand that? I got more stuff than I ever had, but it means less to me. Now, I enjoy it, but it's just stuff. You'll find that out. I mean, some, some things that I used to look at and long for and think, well, man, if I could just have one of those, you find out, hey, it's just a machine. It might cost a crazy price, or it might be this, but it's just, a, you know, steel and rubber and cast iron. Or, I mean, it's rusts, wears out. Houses or houses, there's nicer and not so nice, but they're still, you know, you, you still sleep on the bed just like you did in the other house. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You still eat one meal at a time. So a lot of times people get this stuff built up in their mind that, oh, this is so wonderful. This is going to make me somebody else. This is going to, it's just stuff. It's just stuff. It's not what real life is all about. Jesus said in John 17, he said, this is life. This is eternal life. To know God. Hallelujah. To know God. To know the Father and His Son. Jesus Christ. Knowing God, that's life. And I mean, if you know God and you're having good fellowship with God, man, you can just be content. You can be happy in some circumstances that some other people think you couldn't even exist in. Amen? If you can't be happy and content with God in the little house, you can't in the big house. You can't. Because you're going to be there. Right? It's going to be the same you. The same situation with God. So don't, you know, don't get deceived. That's what he's talking about over in 1 uh, Timothy. Turn back there again. 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter. We looked at this yesterday. I want you to look at it again. I had some translations of that I'd like to find. First Timothy, the sixth chapter. He said in verse 5, he talked about perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. Will, will gain make you closer to God? Will it make you more godly? No. Don't hang around people like that. People that's, you know, they're just covetous. Don't hang around folk like that. It can affect you. From such, withdraw yourself. But godliness, real godliness with contentment is great gain. It's the greatest gain. For we brought nothing into this world. It's certain I mean, no, it's certain, it's a fact. You're not going to carry anything out. Besides that, when we leave here, the things we're going to have where we're going, we wouldn't want any of the stuff down here. <laughs> no. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. And they that will be rich. Now, again, you... You have to define this and look at it in the light of other scriptures. One translation or definitions of this is, is that those that are determined, that crave to be rich, they set their hearts on being rich. 
Let me stop right here. Does God want you rich? Yes, but does he want you to have your heart set on being rich, first of all? No, he wants your heart set on him. Right? They fall into temptation and snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money. It's not the money that's the problem, it's loving it. It's the root of all evil. Or as one translation said, all kinds of evil. Which while some have coveted after, or the Greek there is they've stretched for it, they've reached for it, They've erred from the faith. They've gotten away from faith in God. And they've pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O oh man of God, and we could say woman of God, flee these things. Run from this kind of thing. Follow righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. It's not the things that's the problem, like we said. It's the preoccupation with them. It's the covetousness. Now, I said to you, there's a, there's a number of ways that you can get things. Everybody, saved and unsaved, wants stuff. They want money. They want things. Unsaved? saved. Do you? Do you want any more than what you got? Yeah, if you be willing and obedient, you can eat the good of the land. God gives us richly all things to enjoy. God takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper, be in health even as your soul prospers. So, we want these things. God wants us. But, but the question is, this is a big question, how to get them. How do you get the money? How do you get the stuff? Well, let's go, go over a few ways here. Here's one way that you can get them. You can steal. <laughs> You're laughing, but people, people try this, right? You can get you a gun. You can go and take it away from somebody that's got it. What do you think about that one? Now, now skip that. Two, you can wish and you can wait. <laughs> you can, uh, you know, maybe somebody will die and leave you something. <laughs> <laughs> you can gamble, you know, buy you some lotto tickets and, and, and wish. Maybe something will happen. Maybe you'll walk down the road and find a briefcase full of money <laughs> and decide to keep it even though you know it belongs to somebody else, which goes back to number one. <laughs> Sometimes you see people, they tell them, you know, they drove through the, the drive-thru window of the restaurant and they gave them too much change and they come and, come and say, oh, the Lord blessed me with an extra $10. You know, oh, you stole that. <laughs> the Lord didn't bless you. And what happened? You failed a test. God's wanting to bless you and prosper you and you just flunked. 
you failed a test. You don't have to keep money falsely. I mean, you can get yours the right way. Can't you? Now, you know, we might elaborate on this a little more up here, but, you know, and involved in this also is, is you know, lying and fraud. You know, you can, uh, people do things. I, I've, I've known of ministers that uh, they showed pictures of uh, little children in poverty in other countries and took up big offerings and went and bought a Ferrari. That's number one, stealing, lying. And it's one thing to, to steal people's money, but stealing God's money, you got to be pretty dumb. <laughs> but it has happened. But just because there's been some bad apples doesn't mean that you never support a ministry. Right? No, no. You do, then you, you know, You've gotten away from God. Just because somebody else backslid doesn't mean you have to. Right? Okay, how else can we get it? Yeah, work. We can work. And, well, let me see. We can, uh, let's do it this way. We can borrow. We can borrow. And then we can work. Well, y'all are quiet. That's the way to get it, right? Huh? <laughs> or, here's another way. You can work. And you can save. You know, and you can wait. Right? And there's one more. There's one more. You can sow and you can believe it in. You can sow and you can believe it in. We need to look at the Bible again on the subject of debt and borrowing. There's been a lot said from a lot of different perspectives. But I want to just remind you some things from the Word. Go with me to Romans, the 13th chapter. Let's look at this familiar verse. Y'all are not scared, are you? Romans, the 13th chapter. The Lord said through Paul, verse 7, Render therefore to all their due. In other words, give people what's due them. If tribute is due them, then give them tribute. If custom, now we'd, today we'd say taxes instead of custom. If taxes is due, what do you do? 
pay your taxes. If fear or reverence is due, then give fear or reverence. Now, you understand, he's, he's not talking about just God here. He's talking about people. Should you reverence and respect people? Yes, you should. That's one big way that you reverence and respect God. Honor to whom honor. If honor is due people, then give them honor. Now, in the Bible, the word honor doesn't just mean preferential titles and treatment. It means doing things for people materially. I was surprised several years ago when I first saw that. I mean, it kept coming up as I stood in these things. Honor meant give. Honor meant buy them something, do something for Because a lot of times in our society, when we think honor, we just think, yes, sir, uh, here's a good seat or whatever. But it means do things. In fact, Jesus interpreted honoring your father and mother as doing something for them financially. If you read the gospel accounts, you see that to be true. But he went on to say, verse 8, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, there's a lot of different interpretations of this, but you need to look at the whole context. He's just saying, give people what is due them, right? And then he gets to debts. How many of you owe people money? What should you do? You should pay them. Uh, one translation says, let no debt remain outstanding. Another one said, leave no debt unpaid except the standing debt of love. This verse didn't say, don't borrow. It said, pay what you owe. Are you with me? You have to look at the whole context, and, and people grab phrases, and, and they try to make things, say things that they didn't say. You have to look at the whole thing. What it's saying is pay what you owe. I mean, if you owe somebody, don't be content to let it go and not pay them. We live in a society where debt is not regarded as it used to be. Debt is a serious thing in the word. Serious thing. In Psalms 37, 21, Psalm 37, 21, it says, The wicked borrows and pays not again, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. The Jerusalem translation says, The wicked borrow without meaning to repay. And you know, a lot of that happens, doesn't it? People borrow, they never intend to pay it back. That's serious. The most serious thing where debts are concerned is your word and your personal integrity. Your word. If you told somebody that you would do something, I will pay this back. I'll pay this back like this. And you sign your name, you've given your word. And I don't care what comes or what doesn't come, 
your words on the line. And unless they release you from it, then you do everything within your power to believe God, to work, to do whatever you know how to do, to honor your word. Even if when it's all said and done, you think, well, man, I missed God. Or they gave me a bad deal. Or they charged me too much. Or they did that. That's irrelevant. Your word is on the line. You said you would do this. Maybe next time you'll pray and seek God a little more before you jump into it. <laughs> but your word's on the line. We live in a society where people, they lack integrity. They don't know about commitment. And they don't know about their word being good. You know, just as recently as uh, the first part of this century, uh, here in this country right here, there were people that went to jail for six years for failing to pay $200. Debt used to be a much more serious thing. And back in Bible times, if you failed to fulfill your obligations on your debt, your creditor had the right to repossess all of your material goods and your kids, and your wife, and you, and sell you for a slave. And that was allowed by the Mosaic Law. That's a serious thing. We need to understand. But see, we live in a society where people, you know, they give the word, I'll do this, I'll do that. They make commitments in marriage. I'll be committed to you here and there. But then, when it's not serving them personally or it's inconvenient for them to fulfill, they file bankruptcy, they file for divorce, they bail out. Understand? And it's just as wrong as can be. People talk about all the woes that we have and our society and all the pressures and problems because we have a different society than, than people have had before. Listen, the basics have never changed. We've got different technology, but the basics have never changed. And the problem in marriages, in finances, on and on, the problem is not the devil. It's selfishness. It's selfishness. That's what it is. I was impressed. A few years ago, we were invited to come speak at a church in another state. We didn't know these people. We knew these people's daughter. She had worked with Phyllis and helped Phyllis in years past. And uh, we went to their church. And through our time with them, they they confided and let us know some of their financial situation. In times past, this man was an educator, and uh, he was a, a sharp guy, and he had made some investments in certain things, and he had become quite wealthy. He had a very, very nice house, several new cars, and just had, you know, just was affluent. But in this particular industry, some things went wrong, the thing went belly up, and next thing you know, he lost everything he had and owed, I forget how much, I mean hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars after they'd taken everything. And his salary, he's an educator in the public system. And so he's not making some huge salary. He, that was his profession, but then he had all this money coming in from the side from these investments. That's why he was affluent. 
But when everything was settled, they, he was left holding these hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. And, of course, all of his advisors said, you know, well, man, you can't do this. You could never pay this back. If you'd look at the natural, how can he ever pay all of that back on a school teacher's salary? But I want you to know it hadn't been but how many years? Oh, it had been, I think, four or five years since that had happened to him when we were there. He's already got another house. Amen, a new one. Wasn't as palatial as the other, but nice, new house. Driving a good car. And almost got that whole debt paid off. How do you do that? Believe in God? I said, believe in God. He had a revelation of what we've been talking about, that his school teacher's salary was not his source. And God honored the man's integrity and honored his word. He refused to let all those people be left holding the bag. Because, see, when you file bankruptcy, what happens? Somebody loses something, right? And he refused to do that. And he refused to, to be a liar. If he told them he stood good for it, then he did. I was blessed. I saw what God did for a man. It didn't have the resources. And I mean, God would do it for people after person after person if they would just have the same heart. People are so quick to just throw in the towel and just say, well, there's no way. Hey, there's a God and there's a way. He just needs faith out of us. So the issue, like we said, is not... It's not just the interest or the economy or your situation. It's your word. That's why you need to consider these things before you just run sign your name to something. I want us to take another look at, at borrowing. I have, uh, I have some definitions here. I want to show you. Turn with me, why don't you, back to... Uh, Deuteronomy, the 15th chapter. Deuteronomy 15. Are you clear now on the different ways you can get stuff? We're pretty much down here on these two. That's where most folk are at. You know, borrow and then work to pay it off. And are some folk are working and saving. And they're going to get it when they got enough saved up. Somebody says, well, that, that's the best way. No, it's not. This is the best way. <laughs> the world does this. People don't even know God. They get loans, and they work, and they make their payments. And there's folk in the world that do this. They don't like borrowing. They don't like loans, so they work, and they save. And they scrimp, and they get by, and they sacrifice, and they keep putting it up until they got enough, and they go out and pay cash for it to write a check or whatever. Well, that's great, but still, I said, the world does this. The world does this. But the world don't know about this. Sowing and believing it in. 
but we do. I said, we do. In Deuteronomy, the 15th chapter, are you there? Verse 1. Deuteronomy 15.1, this is what the Lord told them to do and how to operate as a nation and as a people. And his truths never change. He said, at the end of every seven years, you shall make a release. This is the manner of the release. Every creditor that lends aught or anything to his neighbor shall release it. Forget 30-year mortgages. Forget 15-year mortgages. God's people were instructed that if something went as long as seven years, the creditor just releases it. Can you see God never intended that we just live in debt all the time? I mean, he implemented things on a national level so that people don't just live in debt. He didn't just forbid them from ever borrowing. Do you, do you see that? I mean, he didn't say, thou shalt not borrow. That's not part of the law. But he did implement and say, now, I, you know, I don't only want this to go so long. And if it goes to this length of seven years, I want the creditors to just release it. Let it go. He shall not exact it of his neighbor or of his brother, because it is called the Lord's release. Let me just stop right here. Do you know that Jesus, in his teachings, compared release of debt to forgiveness of sin? Repeatedly. He compared the two. That's what he used to teach about release, uh, excuse me, forgiveness of sin. Do you remember they told the story about the man that owed the millions of dollars and uh, or about a million dollars or whatever and, and his creditor called him and said, you know, he's going to throw him into jail and he fell down before him and pled and said, please, you know, give me time and I'll pay it back. Well, if you look at the probable situation, you know, he probably could have never paid that back the amount and where his position in life. But the Bible said that the Lord of that individual had mercy on him and compassion on him and forgave him that debt. What does that mean? It means he tore up the paperwork and said, you don't owe it. A million dollars. How many know that's gracious? But you know the rest of the story, don't you? This guy that just got his paperwork on his million dollar loan tore up or handed to him, he walks out and finds a, an acquaintance of his that owes him $25. And he go, he said, that's that guy, he owes me 20 bucks. And he went across the road and grabbed the guy by the throat and shook him and said, where's my $20 at? And the guy immediately said, G give me a little time. If you give me time, I'll pay it. That's just exactly what he said to his Lord. Just give me a little time and I'll pay it. But the Bible said he would not. Had him arrested. See, you could do that. Thrown into jail. 
till the debt be paid, through, I guess through his labor in the prison camp or something. I don't know. And when the Lord of that servant heard it, he was wroth, angry. And he sent and had the man brought back to him. He said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt. And then I'm paraphrasing, and then you act like this. And the Bible said, without, I'm paraphrasing now, but he reinstated the debt and had the guy thrown in prison. And Jesus said, and that's the way my father will do with all of you if you don't everyone forgive his brother or whoever their trespasses. He compared release of debt to forgiveness of sin. Because see, sin is a debt. God doesn't want us indebted spiritually and or naturally. Now, I didn't say it was wrong. I didn't say it was a sin to borrow. But I'm talking about what God wants for us. He's not satisfied that we be indebted. I didn't say he's grieved with us. You understand what I'm saying? I'm just saying he's not satisfied with that level of prosperity. Keep reading. It's the Lord's release. Verse 3, of a foreigner you may exact it again, but that which is yours with your brother, your hand shall release. Save when there shall be no poor among you. Or the margin says, to the end that there'll be no poor among you. See, it's God's will that there be no poor among you. Now, there's other places where it says that the poor you'll have always with you. But see, God, this is God's will right here. The lost you're going to have with you, but it's not God's will. The sick you're going to have with you, but it's not God's will. If God's perfect will, if he had his perfect will in the thing, all of us would be just rich, rich. For the Lord shall greatly bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you for an inheritance to possess it. Only if you carefully hearken to the voice of the Lord your God to observe, to do all these commandments which I command you this day. For the Lord your God blesses you as he promised you, and you shall lend unto many nations, but you shall not borrow. And you'll reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over you. The blessing is to not have to borrow and not need to borrow, but be able to lend. Instead of paying interest, we should be getting interest from some, I'm not talking about charging our brother's interest, but in worldly institutions. Instead of paying them interest, they should be paying us interest. But it starts inside and it starts with a vision. There's a lot of people, they have no vision for getting beyond where they are. Let me show you something here. There are different levels of faith for prosperity. The first level on the bottom here is no faith. None. You're over here in the just wishing for it or just depending totally in your endeavors like people in the world do. But then the next level, I'll call this payment faith. That is a level of faith. Anybody know anything about payment faith? Huh? Exactly. 
That's one reason why a lot of car dealers get rich. Because people will come in. I know there's a certain place in town. I've tried to buy cars from them, I don't know, half a dozen times, because sometimes they have a pretty good selection. But I've never been able to buy anything from them, because all they want to do is talk to me about a payment. They don't want me looking at the big picture. And you can see how they do with people. They get them. People come in and think, well, I, what payment can I make? They don't think about how much I'm going to wind up buying this car twice before it's over with. Same thing with a house. Well, what payment can... See, a lot of times people want to know when you come to look at, well, what payment can you afford? Well, sure, you need to consider that, but there is a higher level of faith than payment faith. God doesn't want you just making payments all your life. Does he? Now, now don't misunderstand me. That is a level of faith. Did you hear me? It is. Uh, there's people that won't even step out to try to get anything because they don't have enough faith to take, that God could even bless them they could make a payment. They're too afraid, too scared to even step out. Well, I just don't know if the money will be there for me to make a payment. That, that is a level of faith. Anything, anybody know about payment faith? Have you operated there? Hmm? I have. There's another, another level of faith. We'll call it payoff faith. And what I mean that is payoff early. Not just go the whole term of the loan, but uh, pay it off early. That's a higher level of faith than just payment faith. You get something, and you're making payments on it, but you got a vision. Maybe it's a five-year loan, uh, but you're not going, you know you're not going the full five years. Maybe it's a 15-year, but you know you're not going the full 15. You know that. And I've learned to do that more on my cars. And on the last car deal I made, I, I told the guy, I said, well, I said, I, I, let me do this. I'll give you this, and then you give me 90 days to give you this. And he said, okay. And see, I had three months to believe God for that to come in. And I put a chunk on that, you see. And uh, paying off faith, uh, you know, it's fine to put an extra $2 here on this and $5, but, man, that can take you a long time. You need some chunks. Yeah. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You want to pay off a house, pay off a car, you need some chunks. <clears throat> a chunk of money. I'm not talking about $5, $10. Or somebody says, well, I'm going to put extra on my principal payment. Well, that's good. That's fine. But, man, it sure works a lot better when you can put 10000 on it, 15000 20 that you don't take too much of that, man, you, you got it. I said, well, I just don't have 10,000 left. Well, obviously, that's why we're talking about these things. But how are you going to get it? How you get there? All right, there is another level of faith. We've already been talking about it, but I just want you to be real clear on it. What is it? Believe it in. Just believe it in. Not work and earn it. Not borrow. Not save and scrimp. No, just believe it in. I mean, bless God, just back your ears 
and believe God till there it is. Now, that's a higher level of faith than a lot of people have. But you need to have a vision. I said you need to have a vision. Listen to some of these scriptures. We read this passage. You're there in Deuteronomy. Just go over to Deuteronomy 28. You know it, but let's look at it again. How many believe we've been redeemed from the curse of the law? Have we? But we have inherited the blessings of Abraham. Right? Through Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy 28, verse 1, it'll come to pass... If you hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord your God to observe and to do all the, His commandments, which I command you this day, that the Lord your God will set you on high above all nations of the earth and all these blessings, if you keep running after them, you'll catch them. No, they will come on you and overtake you if you will hearken to the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed will you be in the city. Blessed in the field. Blessed the fruit of your body, the fruit of your ground, the fruit of your cows, the increase of your kind, the flocks of your sheep. Blessed shall be your basket and your store. You got a storehouse? Brother Hagin has said this for years, that you need a storehouse. Savings account. If you, I don't, you may say, well, I don't have enough money... Go take whatever, $50, $100, whatever you have to have, and just open, just the minimum. Just get you one. How can God bless your storehouse? You don't even have one. <laughs> or some, you know, some kind of, a, uh, we have one of these 401k plans and, and some of these kind of things. Some storehouses here and there. Now, that's not what our treasure is. That's not where our heart is. But, uh, you know, you don't have to spend everything you got week to week. That's not just living by faith. There are times the Lord will deal. You have times of plenty and extra, and the Lord will deal with you. Put some of that up. So a lot of people think that's not living by faith, but it is. Living by the direction of the Lord is living by faith. Exactly, that's what I was about to say about Joseph. You know what the Lord told him? There's coming the years of plenty, then there's coming the years of famine, and so I want y'all all to stand up and agree that there won't be a famine. And believe God against this thing, because we're faith people. No. See, there's some things, because it affects a lot more people than you, and you're not the only one involved, there's some things you can't change. Now, things just concerning you, you can but things that involve a lot of other people, sometimes you can't change them. You just have to get ready for it. I remember a few years ago before some of the problems happened uh, with some prominent individuals and ministers that caused some people to withdraw some of their support from some ministries. Before that happened, the Lord dealt with Brother Hagin to put back 20% uh, of everything that came in. Operate on 80, put back 20 well, he's a faith man. He kept doing that. Well, see, some properties came up. And see, he had it on hand. See, a lot of times, you, there are some deals out there, friend, if you have the liquid assets to act on. 
heard of a minister telling a while back about this Learjet that came up for sale. And, and he travels a lot. And, uh, I mean, it was a deal. It was a deal. But he didn't have a half million. He could just pop on it. He could have saved, I don't know how much, a million or two. But he just didn't have it. See, a lot of times if you listen to God, he's getting you in position to give you a, a great blessing. Well, when some, some people experienced some lack during some of those times, the Hagen ministry didn't. I mean, they just sailed right through because he'd listened to God. Storehouse. He'll bless you in your storehouse. Verse 11. The Lord will make you plenteous in goods. In the fruit of your body, in the fruit of your cattle, the fruit of your ground, the land which the Lord your God swear to your fathers to give you, the Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heaven, to give the rain to your land in his season, to bless all the work of your hand, and you shall what? You shall lend unto many nations, and you shall not borrow, and the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You'll be above only, and you'll not be beneath. You're going to be on top. The lender, the borrower is on the bottom. How many in here have debts? Okay. Just relax. <laughs> I, I, I got some. But the Bible still reads the same, right? What does the Bible say? Who's on top? The, lender. the lender's on top in the financial scheme of things. And the borrower is on bottom. He didn't say it's a sin to borrow, but it's not the full blessing to have to or to need to. Listen to some other scriptures. You know these, but listen to them. Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rules over the poor. And the borrower is servant to the lender. Another translation says, the rich rules the poor, the borrower is the slave of the lender. Or another one says, the borrower becomes the lender's slave. The word borrow is an interesting word. Have you ever looked it up? There's, a number, there's more than one word that's translated borrow. One of the words that's translated borrow means to inquire, to ask, to beg. That is so descriptive. Have you ever gone with your hat in your hand, so to speak, to a bank representative? Or a lending institute representative to ask for a loan. Yea, virtually beg. The Lord brought some, some of these things to my attention and my remembrance. I mean, I have. I've gone. And you didn't, didn't want to go. I've had people that were in positions on the other side of the desk just treat you like, hey, you need me, I don't need you, and almost, you know, almost plead, you know, get, 
could you give me the loan? Do we have to do that? We talked about our job is not our source, right? Is the bank our source? Do we have to go to them? I have, you have, but I said, do we have to? Do we have to go to them? Some of them not even saved. Now, don't, I'm, don't misunderstand me. Thank God for good bankers that'll work with you and help you in situations. But when we need something, if the first thing we think about is Mr. Banker, and can I have his favor? And get, well, see, we're looking there. Do we have to do that? Do we have to go and sit and smile and put on our best behavior and, and hope that they'll loan us some money? Or do we have a God? I said, do we have a God that can do it? We can look to him. You know, uh, a lot of people pretend that they are on a higher level of prosperity than they really are through debt. Right. There is a delusion going on here, and there is a facade being put forth. I mean, they look prosperous, they sound prosperous, but they're not. I said they're not. I mean, you'll find this all through our circles, charismatic circles. I mean, there's somebody driving a new car. They got a nice suit or dress on, and they got a nice ring, and they got this and that, and they got a, they got a little roll of money in their pocket, and, they, and they're talking, God meets all my needs. I'm so abundantly blessed, but they owe for everything. Credit cards maxed, barely making their payments. They owe for everything. That is not prosperity. And people are able to, through debt, to maintain an appearance of prosperity, and yet they don't have it. And one of the first steps in getting the real thing is you've got to humble yourself and admit, I'm not where I've been trying to be. I'm not there. Here's where I am. But I can start here. And I can get there. It's not just having stuff and owing for it. Having it paid for. How many like the sound of that? Paid for. It's not the banks and yours. Mostly the banks. It's yours. So there's a lot of times, I mean, God can't deal with you to give any of your stuff away. You don't own it. Amen. You guys, well, everything I have belongs to the Lord. Yeah, let's see the paperwork. <laughs> it belongs to the bank or the credit union. And then you got this thing of the interest. Help, Lord. You ever look up the word for interest? The Hebrew word for interest or usury in, in the Bible? It's, it's very interesting. It, it literally means to sting or to bite. 
like the, this is the description in the dictionary, uh, the, the Hebrew dictionary, like the bite or sting of an adder, a snake. You ever felt that sting? <laughs> have you? Boy, I have. You looked at a bill, and you looked at what you paid on the principal, and you looked at what you paid on the interest, and you went, ow, oh, you got bit, man. I said, you got bit. You got bit. Interest is taking a bite out of your prosperity. And it can, too much interest, can actually delay your prosperity. Because that that's going in interest, you could be sowing that. And be getting a harvest back on that. If you could bite the bullet, right? And just operate where you are without trying to project this false prosperity through all this debt. I mean, you could take what you're spending on interest and sow it in the kingdom. And it wouldn't take long. You would be where you're trying to look where it looked like you are. God's got a higher level for us to operate on. Thank God. I mean, please understand me. I mean, I'm, I'm not coming down on anybody for anything. God's blessed us, hasn't he? How many better off than you used to be? Thank God, man. I, you know, we live in a better house. We drive better stuff, eat better, live better. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. But God's not satisfied with us owing for everything. I hadn't seen this, but the Lord, the Lord showed me this. It parallels this particular thing right here. The Lord dealt with me that what happened with the children of Israel, that first generation that came out of Egypt, of course, he, uh, 1 Corinthians 10 says, happened as in samples, are examples for us. And the Lord dealt with me that that is true in every area, including our prosperity. And that there are three distinct levels that they went through that are parallel with our experience in the church. The first one was Egypt. What level is that? Slavery. Right? That's the bottom. You don't have anything, and you owe for everything. <laughs> That's Egypt. Man, they didn't, they didn't own anything. They didn't own a house. They didn't own any land. They didn't own a donkey. They didn't own their own self. Absolutely rock bottom, zero. But then God brought them out. Can you say Amen. God brought them out. The Bible said when he brought them out, he brought them out with silver and with gold. And there was not one feeble person among their tribes. He told them, you know, before they left, he said, ask of the Egyptians for the stuff. And so the fear of God was on the people so much that they just gave it to them right and left. They, I mean, this person had been a slave for this Egyptian for all their life, and they just came in bold and said, uh, you know that pair of donkeys that you have? He said, yeah, I'd like those. He said, okay. And here's the harness. 
<laughs> I mean, the fear of God was after all these plagues. Fear of God's on these people. And this, this maid that's worked for these Egyptian women for all these years, she comes and says, you know, that, uh, that silk outfit, the one you wear on Thursdays sometimes, I'd like that. She says, okay, and here's the shoes and the accessories. And the Bible said they spoiled them. I mean, they left there with the finest clothes on, gold, silver, jewels. I mean, they left there. But that's not the greatest level. They came out through the Red Sea, and then now they are where? In the wilderness. Now, that's, that's better than being in Egypt. A lot of them didn't have enough sense to know that. Because God never intended that they stay in the wilderness. Right? Just go through. Now, it was of God that they go through the wilderness. But never that they stay out there for 40 years or two years. That happened because of their unbelief and their hard-headedness. In Egypt, the thing that's comparable with us is this is before you're even born again. You don't own anything. Even if you've got material stuff, you don't even own your own soul. But if you're born again, you can come out of that and you can come up here. And you've got to go through here. What is this, though? This is day to day. Day to day. That's how their needs were met, wasn't it? Day to day. Oh, they got money, they got gold, they got stuff, but uh, didn't have food to eat, didn't have water to drink. And they they got to believe God every day, day to day. And God moved for them in some spectacular ways. I mean, bread fell out of the sky, water came out of the rock, fresh quail. Anybody in this place right here? The majority of the body of Christ is in the wilderness. They're believing God from check to check. That's where they're at. Making their payments, making their bills, believing God, getting by day to day, week to week, month to month. But is there another level? Is there another place? Come on, don't lose me now. I'm just about through. Hold on. Hold on. What's the next level? Come on, tell me about it. It's Canaan's land. Hallelujah. What is that level? What is Canaan's land? Go to Deuteronomy. The sixth chapter. You need to see this. Oh, glory to God. I'm doing better teaching than y'all are getting excited. I tell you, I, I, come on now, hang with me. Hang with me. Deuteronomy the sixth. This this is wonderful, 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 wonderful. What is Canaan's land? Canaan's land is not living day to day. Canaan's land is not payment fate. Oh no. Uh, what is Canaan's land? Deuteronomy 6. 
Look here. Deuteronomy 6. Verse 3. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with you, and you may increase mightily, as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you in the land that flows with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You shall love the Lord your, your, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words I command you will be in your heart. You'll teach them diligently to your children. You'll talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Well, you've got a house. I said you've got a house. <laughs> you, when you sit in your house, your house, and you'll bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you'll write them upon the posts of your house and on your gates to your property. Now see, what's first? First is keeping the Word of God in front of us and keeping the Word of God in front of our kids. I mean, we got it written on the entryway to our drive. And... Verse 10, and it shall be. Here's Canaan's land now. When the Lord your God shall have brought you into the land, which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you great and goodly cities, which you built not, and houses full of all good things, which you Feel not. Are you getting this now? And wells digged that you didn't dig. Vineyards and olive trees which you planted not. You didn't plant them. Oh. We are not talking about working for it. Are you getting this, my friend? God's way, Canaan's way, is you delivered from the working for a living mentality. We talked about that earlier. We're working for what? For a giving. Well, I, if, if you'll just work real hard and if you'll just save, you'll be able to get it. The world does that. He said, houses you didn't build, wells you didn't dig, vineyards you didn't plant. What does that mean? You didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. You didn't scrimp and scrape and somehow get it. You didn't borrow your way to it. You didn't earn your way to it. You sold and believed God and he gave it to you. He gave it to you. He did it for you. Ha <laughs> ha! Glory! Mm -mm -mm. This is the next level. The next level of prosperity. The believing in. The believing in. Now, if, if you hadn't had any payment faith, then where's your next step? 
Here? Ah, here. See, a lot of times people are trying to jump from one place all the way to the other place. No, there was a time when, I mean, it took all the faith we had to believe God to take that step to get have these payments and do these things, and we used all the faith that we had. And then we've gotten to where, you know, we're, we're not just satisfied making those X amount of payments for the whole term of the loan. We're believing God pay that thing off. Right? Oh, but now I'm getting stirred up. <laughs> now I'm getting stirred up. My wife and I was talking about this particular thing we wanted to get. And as, as, as you know, early as last year, she just said, well, why don't we just believe God for that? I said, yeah, yeah, let's just believe God for it. Not talk to the banker man, not try to scrape and say, just believe God. What do you mean? God's going to do it. He's going to deal with somebody. He's going to work it out. And it's going to be mine that I didn't work for. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. Are you getting this? Yeah. I'm about to stand on my head. This is wonderful. Can you see this? Do you see, friend, if you work, and you scheme, and you're shrewd, and you invest, and you're sharp, and you have money, and you get your stuff, then you get the glory. It was through your labors. It was through your works. And you can sit back in your retirement and say, wasn't I smart to invest in that? Oh, uh, yeah, y'all should have done what I did. You get the glory. But if you work, yes, you work. Everybody's supposed to work. If you work and you're diligent and you give. I said, and you give. And you give. And you give. And you give. And you get to the point where you could go out and borrow the money or you could try to save, but... You just give and sow for it and believe for it and God does it for you. And there it is, paid for, yours. Somebody said, how'd you get that? You must be a real hard worker and you must have saved your pennies. No, no, God gave it to me. He just did it for me. Houses I didn't build. Vineyards I didn't plant. Glory! Wells of provision I didn't even dig. That's what Canaan's land is. That's what Can Oh, glory. Listen to these scriptures. You got you to gotta hear these verses too. Glory. Go to Ecclesiastes real quickly. I'm trying to close. Ecclesiastes, the second chapter. Wowie zowie. Glory. <laughs> Just believe it in. Just, I heard Brother and Sister Gloria Copeland, they got a hold of some of these things a long time ago. They did. And uh, he said this, I, I, it registered on my thinking. He said, I don't, he, he said, if I can't get it with my faith, I don't want it in my house. 
<laughs> Think about that. If I can't get it with my faith, I don't want it in my house. We want God to get glory in what we have, don't we? In, in our prosperity that he's blessed us with. Not, not us get glory about how shrewd and smart and how hard we worked and what we did. No, we want him to get glory. Him to get glory. And if we'll do it his way, instead of us adding stuff to ourselves, we'll get to overcome covetousness. Covetousness says, get it now, anyhow. <laughs> Anyway, just get it. I want it. Get it. But faith says, if you'll just wait, it'll be great. <laughs> just wait. Trust God. Believe God. God's got all kind of ways of doing it. Well, man, I don't know. If I, if I don't go borrow the money, then I may never get to have one. That's full of unbelief. You might not get it just as quick as you want to, but you can have it. And when the Lord adds it to you, instead of you just adding it to yourself, when He adds it to you, it's going to be a blessing. And you're going to know where it came from and know how you got it. And you know the Lord wanted you to have it. He gave it to you. Folk can say what they want to you about. You didn't rob. You didn't lie. You didn't cheat. You didn't neglect anything. You were working for God and giving, and God gave it to you. Notice this. We've read these, but do you really believe them? Ecclesiastes, the second chapter. Ecclesiastes 2, 26. God gives to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he gives travail to gather and to heap up that he may give to him that's good before God. Who's supposed to do the work? <laughs> Who's supposed to do the raking and scraping and saving? The sinner. The Canaanites. The Perizzites. The Malachites. Let them work. Let them dig the wells. Let them plant the orchards. Let them do the landscaping. Let them get the lumber. Let them lay the bricks. Let them pave the roads. Let them get it all nice, and then we'll come and take it. Am I reading Bible? Yes, we are. Listen to another translation of this. It says, to the man who pleases God, God gives him wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner... God gives the task of gathering and storing up the wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. Woo! Glory! Two or three witnesses, Proverbs 28. Here we go. Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28. 
28. <laughs> One way you can tell you get revelation is excitement. Excitement. Proverbs 28, 8. 28, 8. It says, He that by usury, interest, and unjust gain increases his substance, he will gather it for him that will pity the poor. Another translation says, the person that increases his wealth by exorbitant interest amasses it for another one who will be kind to the poor. Income from exploiting the poor will end up in the hands of someone who pities the poor. Glory. Is anybody, is anybody making money off the poor today? Is anybody exacting exorbitant interests? And they're getting rich. And I says, well, isn't that terrible they got all that money? Hey, they're gathering it for us. Amen. Because we're going to have pity on the poor. We're going to give to the poor. We're going to feed the hungry and clothe the naked. We're going to do it. God's looking. He said, I'm just letting them gather it up for y'all. I'm looking for some people that will pity the poor. We need to go, here I am. I am. I'll do it, Lord. I'll pity the poor. He says, okay, we're going to have to make some transfers. Proverbs 13, 22. You know it, but it won't hurt you to look at it again. Anybody know what it says? 13, 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his grandkids. What does that mean? When you die, there's so much money that your kids get money and your grandkids get money. You leave an inheritance that affects the next two generations. Help them get off to a good start. And the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. Not for the kids of the sinner, but for us. That we can leave an inheritance to our kids. Job said, though the wicked man heaps up silver like dust, and he piles up clothing like clay, he may pile it up, but the just will wear it. <laughs> Listen to this with the, the, the living translation of Job 27. It says, the evil man may accumulate money like dust. He may have his closets jammed full of clothes. Yes, he may order them made by his tailor, but the innocent shall wear that clothing and will divide his silver among them. Now, friend, that's scripture. It's not just one verse. That's scripture. What is happening? There are people, the only thing they live for is to make some more money. Right? I mean, they step on people. They hurt people. They tear families apart. They tear companies apart. They put people out of work. Their only thing, they're amassing all this wealth. Some people, they have billions. Some have trillions. And God said, I, I'm letting them amass all of this for you. He said, you're my kids. You're the kings and princes. 
I'm going to let them have all the labor of working and amassing it and gathering it up and heaping it up, and then I'm going to let you have it. We've got to get delivered from the working for a living mentality and get converted to the working for a giving mentality and come up above payment faith and even above pay off early faith to the bless God, believe it in faith. Oh, glory to God. Come up out of Egypt. Come through the wilderness. You've you got to come through the wilderness. God's not going to let you come around there because you've got to learn how to believe God. Got to learn how to believe God. And the day-to-day -day stuff is where you learn it. I never forget going to Ramah. Man, we didn't know where our next meal was coming from. I mean, I, I fasted some days not because I was trying to be spiritual. It just wasn't enough money to buy gas and eat, you know. But I, I thank God for that. You know, some people, they just seem like they have it so easy. They don't ever learn how to believe God. But I, we've learned how to believe God. We believe God for our rent. We believe God for everything. Wilderness. Living day to day, living week to week, living month to month. But thank God there's another level. There's another place. And it's Canaan's land. I mean houses you didn't build, vineyards you didn't plant, glory wells you didn't dig. You didn't earn it. You didn't save for it. You didn't merit it. God gave it. The sinners did it. Work, you moved in. Now, God's got things already spied out for you. He told them, he said, I've spied you a land that happens to have a bunch of people on it, but that's all right, we'll take care of that. I've spied, God has spied out for you in this place. He spied out for you houses, lands, things, businesses, business facilities, all kinds. He's already, he's already got that picked out for you. Now, there's some folk, they're pouring money into that thing. They're working so hard, getting it ready for them. There's people building this house. They think they're going to live there forever. That's your house. Yeah. <laughs> they keep putting all this money and all this work into it or whatever. And when it gets right, you can move in. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.